Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today we're going to get a chance to explore some things that are going on within Nebraska in the area of digital learning. And this conversation comes about because there's a number of buckets of work that I feel like I've had the good fortune to listen in and learn about from uh, our colleagues who are invested in those efforts across our state uh, and others from outside of the state have asked what's going on in Nebraska. What are the things that the ESUs that our service agencies statewide are currently invested in? And so we are going to have a great opportunity today to showcase our Digital Citizenship Symposium, uh, which again is a statewide effort uh, that's been going on for a few years now. We previewed it on a podcast about this time last year as it is Digital Citizenship Month. And in addition to that, our blended learning work group has uh, done a lot to find avenues to share out. And so we're going to talk about a new opportunity for everyone to connect, to share ideas, uh, and be a part of those conversations as well. And so I'm incredibly grateful to Peg Coover, who is a data coordinator at ESU 10, which is in Kearney, Nebraska. She's the lead of the Digital Citizenship Symposium Initiative uh, in our state. And so we're going to welcome Peg. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> Great to have you back on the pod again. And first time for Eileen Heller, who's the education consultant at ESU3 here in Omaha, Nebraska, and is the co-lead of the Blended Learning Work Group. Eileen, welcome to the pod. Good morning. Excited to be here. Uh, and so grateful to both of you for your time and your efforts in these respective initiatives. Uh, and so we're going to give about half of our normal episode time, so about 15 minutes or so, uh, to talking digital citizenship before we pivot to the blended learning efforts. And so to kick things off, Peg, the Digital Citizenship Symposium has quite the history. Uh, and so can you give us a little bit of context in terms of what work has been done prior to uh, 2022? Absolutely. I started working at ESU 10 in the summer of 2013, and the Digital Citizenship Symposium had already been two years in the making. So it started in 2011. And it started out with a group of People that worked at ESUs throughout the state, they would get to, we get together and this particular group of educators felt it was really important to start talking about digital citizenship. Like we had more and more schools across the state that were one-to-one with computers. Most of our districts, at least at ESU 10, were moving in that direction. And so it was more and more important. Plus students started having those devices in their hands at home and 24-7. And so it was really important. So back in 2011, we really just had one location where schools gathered for the Digital Citizenship Symposium, and that was here at ESU 10. And we had like four or five districts here that year. And the idea of it was that they would bring in a team of students and teachers, and they would take something back to their school. So then it continued every year until 2019 was our last year that we had a face-to-face Digital Citizenship Symposium. And that particular year, we had 22 districts and um, about 203 students slash teachers. So we had an outreach of about 200. Our largest year was the year before. We had 288 participants. What we did was we would bring them in. We would have speakers. We would have projects for them to work on. We also had kind of like satellite locations. And so not only do we have it at ESU 10, but we would have one at ESU 7, for example, ESU 13 out in Western Nebraska, ESU 4 or ESU 8 would sometimes host a site and then we would try to connect everybody together. So this was before everybody else was doing Zoom. We were kind of trying to do that. But our biggest reach was about 300 people. So, of course, like everything that happened in 2020, we were 
unable to have it face to face. So we kind of spent some time gathering some resources that we could put together virtually on a website. And that first year that we did, we kicked it off in January of 2021. So we were a little bit behind the ball in terms of when we normally would have had the symposium, but we kicked it off, but the the material was there for that whole semester. And incredibly, like we reached like 1500 students and teachers and tons more classrooms because you didn't have to locate it right in one, you know, face-to-face setting. And it was, it wasn't a one day deal. It was throughout the year, throughout the semester in in that particular case. And so we were super excited of the outreach. And so last year we decided to do it that way again. Yeah. To see the participation increase by about five times that first year uh, is remarkable. And correct me if I'm wrong, it was over 2000, I believe in the past year. This last year, we had almost 2,000 certificates generated. So what I mean by certificates generated is the students would interact with the content with their teacher, practice it, and then take a quiz. And if they got the 10 out of 10 score, they would get a, a certificate generated. So the data that we have to kind of back up that participation and engagement that we've had shows that last year, 1,931 certificates were generated. And so that's pretty cool. That That may not be 1,931 students, but at least that many students interacting with the content. And and it could be one student getting three certificates or, you know, various combinations of that. And the first year that we did it, we um, had a little bit more than that. One of the other things that we were able to bring back by offering it on a virtual platform through our website is the Digital Citizenship Contest. Oh, years ago, we had, it started with an internet safety poster contest and students would design a poster and they would mail it in or teachers would drop them off here at ESU 10. And it was still a statewide project, but all the contest entries came here. And this was like right before I started working here and they would judge these posters and then they would award certificates or medals or something like that. And so then we kind of backed off that for a few years. Not that, not that we meant to, but that just what happened. But when we brought this back virtually, we decided we were bringing back that contest. And instead of it being just internet safety, we have it tied into the topics that are covered in the content that we provide on our website. And so with our the first year of doing it virtually and then the second year, uh, we awarded medals for the winners. We had about 109 entries that first year in 2021. And then last year, we had 140 total entries. And they were phenomenal. And they're on our website. The winners are on our website. So people can check those out and get some ideas too. And a couple of things to point out there with that. First, uh, going back to the certificates, to say that it was almost 2,000 certificates awarded, it's important to point out that isn't 2,000 lessons were accessed. It's that there were 2,000 pieces of evidence that learning had occurred on this work and this, these topics. And I think that's incredible. Uh, and in addition to that, as you mentioned on the website, so to kind of press into that a little bit here, I would ask uh, what kind of topics, because I, I find digital citizenship feels like a broad umbrella term for a lot of um, nuanced conversations uh, about being safe online and uh, but also being a good collaborator and, and a good researcher. And so can you help kind of tease out when you say that the topics on the website, what materials are there uh, and what content is covered? Yeah, I love how you put that, that there was almost 2000 pieces of evidence of learning. That's that's a great way to put that. So thank you for restating that. I love that. Um, last year, I'm just going to look at the 
seventh through 12th grade content. We had three topics and we were provided with some videos from KSB School Law, which is law firms that a lot of schools access. And then one video provided by Lincoln Public Schools or ESU 18. One of our colleagues, Chris, um, helped put that one together. But the topics that were provided last year, we just we narrowed it down to three. Like you said, it is a very big umbrella. So we had cyberbullying and harassment as topic one. Sexting is topic two. And media literacy was our third topic last year. And we kind of try to mix it up just a little bit so that it's not, not all about the staying safe online, but also that being more knowledgeable as a student, as a consumer of information on the web, and also media balance. And so this year, one of our topics is, is really going to be a little bit more about that media balance and when to unplug and and how to survive emotionally <laughs> in this world, this digital world, because we know that that's super important. Um, one of the years that we had a, our face-to-face symposium, we we used to do like seventh through 12th graders. And then we one year did fourth through eighth graders because we can't, we felt like that was a really good age group to kind of hook in. And so what's nice about having the outreach that we do now and, and um, resources because it's online is we, we can reach all grade levels. And so we have K through four, five through eight, and nine through 12 this year for our grade level curriculum that we're putting on our website. And I would, uh, and this will be in the show notes, we'll probably revisit again before the episode's over, but I would point people to bit.ly slash capital N, capital E for Nebraska, uh, capital D, lowercase IG, capital C, lowercase IT. So any digit. Uh, to check out this website and the resources associated with it. And love that there is a K-12 focus on these resources and that we're continuing to evolve in the content that's being provided. Uh, With that, I I do want to highlight that there are resources for educator professional learning as well. Yes. When you do visit our website, there's a tab up there that says DigSit for Teachers. And so our statewide group, our digital citizenship group, worked on some content to put together into some online modules for teachers. And ESU3 was kind enough to put it together for us on a platform that made it like an online course. And it the total amount of time commitment for the teacher is only about 30 minutes or so. There are six modules, I believe, about five to eight minutes a piece. And a certificate of completion will be generated then. And it's, it's just a nice way for teachers to get a real quick, just some background. Cause then I think sometimes they come in and like, why do I have to teach digital? You know, why am I doing this? Or whose responsibility is it? And it's really everybody's. So it's a great way for any teacher to just get a little bit of background knowledge and ideas and talking points and common vocabulary. So I want to take a moment then and press into that here and ask, why is it important? You know, if I am a classroom teacher and and I'm listening in and I, and I hear you say that it is important for everyone to be a little bit more knowledgeable in this space in support of students in their digital space, maybe getting a, like really specific, I guess, as far as the, that why drive in this work. I would say, I mean, these cell phones, these computers in our pockets and our purses aren't going away and we have access not only to information, 24-7, but to social media. And younger students don't always kind of know how to interact. We want to be able to have talking points when things come up, those teachable moments. We don't want it to be just 
a one day symposium. I, that's what, again, I love about the fact that we can have this information and this interaction and this engagement year round and to, to come up with ways that when a situation arises, a teacher might know a little bit how to address it. And parents too. I mean, I, I would encourage parents to access our website and to see what's out there. We, we provide other resources, not just the content that we decide to curate and put on our website. We provide links to other things as well. The Digital Citizenship Month and Digital Citizenship Week, which is coming up October 17th, Common Sense Education kind of promotes that. And they always put forth some contents for parents as well that they can access and, and just understand more what's going on. Sometimes parents don't know how to address situations that might come up. So there, it's a great place for them to access information as well. And I guess it's better to have a teachable moment and a, the ability to have conversations with students that might get into trouble or just not understand the boundaries than to just say, oh, put your phone away or take it away or whatever it happens to be. I mean, we really need to work with the students and educate them. And I know you as a parent probably go through that. I'm, I'm a grandparent, so I'm kind of the one like, yeah, okay, you can play with my phone. <laughs> yeah. They're just playing games. They're not on social media With in my case. Well, so much to your point, it absolutely, these things aren't going away. And so we either need to be there and support and bring conversations around and add terminology for help, to help learners process how to be in those spaces in a way that's healthy. And earlier you noted uh, the word balance. And that's certainly something that, as you said, you know, I have an 11 year old and an eight year old and at home, uh, we try to strike that balance a lot. And when we say that you're going to get off of your screen for a time, it's in the sake of balance and not because the screens are bad or evil or that you shouldn't be on there. or It's melting your brain because they, they do some really cool things in those spaces too. My daughter's really big into Minecraft right now. And the buildings and the imagination and creativity that she pours into that is certainly something that I think is different than a passive experience of, I don't know, watching something mindless, <laughs> which has its place too, right? But um, yeah, striking that balance is is so critical and, and tough sometimes, whether you're a parent or a classroom teacher, to try to help support them as they grow up to, to live a healthy lifestyle across those two pieces. And uh, so that said, um, 15 minutes goes really fast. So I want to like highlight a couple of things here before we pivot to our blended learning conversation. And the first thing would be to say uh, every year we're, we're updating things. You alluded to it a moment ago. So when and where can we expect the 2022-2023 resources and everything? The contest, I'm going to assume, is coming back again this year? Absolutely. And so all that will be available no later than October 17th. So the first day of Digital Citizenship Week. It may be available that week before, but we're still working on getting a few things together. There will be um, the video content for the high school age groups and talking points, review games, the quiz to generate a certificate. The grades five through eight will also have some videos, the same thing, but just a little bit different videos, but kind of the same idea, the same talking points and the same content like media balance and then we'll also have the contest will be open immediately. We'll accept entries from that day, October 17th, all the way through sometime in March. The deadline will be middle of March and then we'll judge them and winners will be announced in April of, of the spring of 2023. And just a reminder that all of the content that is on our website from last year and two years ago is still available as well as the quizzes and the ability to generate certificates. So any teacher that perhaps didn't access it last year or the year before because 
they didn't have those students at that time, or, you know, they're new to the district, whatever it happens to be, all that content is available and you can still engage in that content. And if there's any problems, you can just email me, my emails on the website, but everything should get launched that week of October 17th. And in anticipation of that, we're actually going to do a live show on Wednesday, October 12th uh, at 1.30 in the afternoon, that's Central Time, uh, where we're going to share this message again to some degree in that space, but then also provide a little bit of a walkthrough of where to find these resources. We'll bring up the site so that uh, there really won't be any need for an educator to spend time clicking and searching and trying to understand what's there. We'll do a nice comprehensive uh, overview of how to access those resources and how to set your students up for success and the opportunity to learn in that space. I'm really excited about that. And so you can find those live shows on our ESUCC Facebook page. Uh, same thing for our ESUCC Twitter. Uh, again, that's at 1.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, and then uh, my work YouTube, which is Andrew Easton on YouTube. And so you can check that out for the CC uh, there as well. And speaking of live show initiatives, that's actually part of what will be our conversation here coming up on blended learning. And so before we pivot to that, Peg, thanks for sharing and all the work that that team does uh, in support of digital citizenship, as it is a really important topic to create materials around and support our learners in uh, as they develop into bringing that balance in their life. Uh, and blended learning, talk about balance, right? Finding opportunities to bring technology alongside best practices and doing that in a way that's effective and enhances education in the classroom. And for our audience, uh, I want to reintroduce Eileen Heller here, who's uh, been listening through our first portion of today's conversation. And Eileen, uh, we speak to a little bit of your background as the co-lead of the Blended Learning Work Group here in our ESU network. Sure. Um, I get the fortunate experience of working with teachers within the ESU3 area, but also connecting with colleagues across the state of Nebraska. And as part of our blended learning work group. We are a part of a bigger group across the state of Nebraska, TLT, the Teaching and Learning with Technology group. And my experience with them came in when I was new to the ESU last July of 2021. And so I had the opportunity to learn a lot about what this work group had done previous to me joining it. And then in January, we were looking at how blended learning is evolving and the way that we feel it could evolve. And we wanted to kind of rebrand and revision our work group's efforts towards that. So that was when I joined Andrew and Jody Barr as the co-lead to this work group. And we started taking our members through some collaborative efforts as we were looking at how should blended learning in the state evolve and how could our work group help support that mission. Yeah. And I would say through the spring is a little bit of, I mean, for being honest, a little go slow to go fast and farther uh, is what our process was. But I was really grateful for the opportunity to meet with the members of that group to invite others to be a part of it. And I would still say to this point, if you're a part of TLT or SDA and would like to invest in these blended learning conversations, we'd welcome any and all participation in that effort. Uh, but really that that conversation in the spring led to a point where we had some purpose statements that emerged from that collaboration. So Eileen, would you mind uh, highlighting what those are that really are uh, going to define the efforts for the blended learning work group specifically moving forward? Sure. The work groups are truly work. Like what is our work and what is it going to be focused on? And so we really wanted to, in a collaborative way, 
determine that based off of what do we see as needs across the state in this area, plus what the members of this work group feel are important. So we determined one of our first ones was that we were we really found a need to collaborate and communicate to make sure that our initiatives across the state are aligned within our affiliate groups. And so that was one of our purpose statements that we're seeing coming to life now as we connect with the other work groups across the state. So those that are working on curriculum assessment, high quality instructional materials, where do we see our blended learning group members helping to align that work so that we're not all working in separate areas, but we're working stronger together. Um, one of the other ones was we were really looking at what are some projects that our group members could bring their strengths and their lens of blended learning to. And those are focused on agreed upon goals with those affiliates. So one example would be the recent project that was done by some of our members in conjunction with SDA with the social studies and, and constructing with the help of teachers some high quality lessons that could be accessed by the educators across the state. The third. Oh, I was, I was just going to take a moment to underscore that particular effort. If you'd like to learn more about that, we had a past podcast where some of the teachers from that initiative shared out. Uh, that would have been sometime in August that that would have aired where uh, the initiatives launched. The podcast for that was sometime uh, in January of 22. And so you go back and learn more about that uh, collaboration. But certainly shout out to Jen Madison, who is the new SDA chair and leads that strategist group for uh, all of her support uh, and the invitations the SDA has made to the blended learning work group to collaborate and help support us in that goal of working of being better together, to use the SDA phrase. So Eileen, sorry to cut you off there at point two, but just thought it'd be a good uh, a good opportunity to point folks to those resources if they want to learn more. No problem. No problem. Expand on any of these because I'm going to expand on our third one. It's the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart. I think all of us as members and previous classroom instructors, our main purpose that we really wanted to keep in there is that we really hold a role to support the teachers in their best practices of lesson design. And we really want them to feel supported in focusing on content, the pedagogy, and then the addition of technology. And I want to circle back to some of the conversation from Peg prior to this when we asked her, why is digital citizenship important? And this really made me think about this purpose statement. We consider technology to be like a vehicle towards learning. It is not the delivery of learning, but it's that teacher's strong lesson design to use technology as a vehicle to sometimes accelerate learning or provide access to learning, just like a vehicle provides access to anybody to go to places that they couldn't maybe by foot. It gets them there more efficiently, sometimes more effectively. And when I think about digital citizenship, one of my colleagues from a prior time that really had a focus on it said, it's like handing the keys to a vehicle and sending kids off into the world without giving any lessons, advice, skills, support. You would never do that, not in a million years. And so when you hand them a device that has access to the world, you need to build in the scaffolds and the skills and the ability for them to understand what are the positives and what are the negatives and how to handle those things. So when you asked that question of why, it made me think back to how important digital citizenship is in our efforts as a blended learning group to make sure that teachers are building in those 
timely skills along with those lessons as students are interacting with technology. So that purpose statement for our group goes right along with all of the efforts of our DigiSit work group and aligns with our attempt to cross-communicate with the different different work groups. Yeah. And and knowing a little bit about how the actionable efforts built upon these purpose statements have played out, let's say this. Number three, I'm with you, very near and dear to my heart and a a focus of so many of our educators, regardless of affiliate, right, across the state, just wanting to make sure that we're doing the best to support the the teachers that we're here to serve. We, We ended up pairing that with number four. So our fourth purpose is to extend the professional learning and network reach of our group members. And this is two-sided. It's us building our own capacity because things do continually evolve. We are continually learning, but it's also to spread our reach as members to take that learning and propel it to other members of our professional learning network close in the state of Nebraska and even further, for example, with the podcast or with the live shows that you do or some of the professional learning that we provide that extend out. I think this one is another one that's critical because when Peg had mentioned the outreach of their DigiSit symposium and how when they went online, it provided access to where maybe certain grade levels had a barrier of attempting to get to the symposium or the geography of getting to that symposium was a problem. I think in the same way, blended learning provides that access to your students within your classroom, where there's some barriers when you're using a traditional method and not maybe allowing some flexibility of the pace and allowing flexibility of the time that they get it done and allowing them to go back and access perhaps a video snapshot of you sharing the direct instruction piece. And so when we're looking at extending the professional network of our group members and our learning, that's just like what PEG experienced. We're capitalizing on the technology, getting a larger outreach and sharing in a broader, wider scale. And then us getting that from people that we wouldn't normally get to interact with. Yeah. And to invite folks into that conversation, we started in September uh, with a live show initiative. So would you like to highlight that for us and, and what that first episode was kind of like? Sure. Some of the work group members, what we did was a quick little survey of our members of what are some things that you want to learn a little bit more about. And one of the things that came across in that survey was the members of the blended learning work group wanted to continually learning more about blended learning practices and strategies, knowing that it evolves just like digital citizenship evolves from just a internet safety poster to such a depth with more pieces to it. Blended learning has evolved. And so we took time to look at the history of the blended learning work group and the initiatives and projects they've done historically. And then one of the key pieces that came from some of their work was a rubric that shares the best practices. And that rubric is something that we wanted to make sure was highlighted to anyone that might look at what are some best practices if they were trying to engage in blended learning, but also how might that rubric need to evolve based on when it was constructed to now what we see being needed from students. So that was the main focus of our first uh, September live show. Yeah, and that live show featured Peg Coover as one of the individuals who has been invested in this work uh, across our state. And we, we said, gosh, back to 2013. And so 
Peg, for folks who are interested in the full history and some of the things that we talked about in episode one, I would encourage you to check out the YouTube page that I referenced or our Facebook page, Twitter page, uh, where you can go back and watch those conversations for yourself. But just broadly, uh, if you could share a little bit about the history with this work that is leading up to the current conversations around blended learning in our state. Sure. We had um, a lot of help from the Highlander Institute out of Rhode Island when we were getting to move forward with blended learning in Nebraska. It started out kind of as building our own capacity with some training, but then bringing in districts. So we we know that there's pockets of good things happening with blended learning throughout the state, but we're trying to make it a little bit more district, district wide. And Highlander really helped us with that. Eileen mentioned the rubric. They had a lot, they had a really big long list of things like look for, I guess is kind of what we first started calling it. But then we developed it into our own observation rubric so that when we were able to visit classrooms, we could see what was happening and just basically give some feedback to the teachers and the districts of what was going on. 2013 is really where it kind of became a statewide initiative. In 2016, we had our first cohort of teachers from 20-some school districts that received some training, received some district-level implementation ideas, and then the follow-up support of ESU people visiting classrooms and giving feedback and gathering the information. And and we have a wonderful map. uh, You probably have that on on your links from that other live show. And it was really, truly was statewide and ESU-wide for the most part, too. We had a second cohort start in 2018. And so we really have um, had a great outreach. We had over the course of five years, we had those two cohorts and some other projects that really helped support teachers in digital learning. We had um, invested money. We had a 1,500 educators trained. We developed resources that are on a website called Digital Age Pedagogy. And we also have some professional development courses that we put together through these initiatives. And I would say that we kind of mentioned with digital citizenship and the pandemic in 2020, we had a change that happened for the better in a lot of regards. And the same thing happened with digital learning, with remote learning, and realizing the importance of how technology can help make um, the instruction more efficient. It can free up the teacher to work in a small group. There's just so many ways that you can look at utilizing technology to make an impact on what's happening in the classroom remotely or face-to-face. Yeah. And, and I think it's great to underscore too, that that conversation and that work as technology evolves is also always evolving. Uh, And so for us, um, we don't see our current conversations as being a deviation from the history behind this work, but more as a evolution of what is now uh, and what is next, which is why we have titled our live show, What's Next? Um, And the next stands for, in Nebraska, it's the intersection of where education and technology meet. And so that's your end E for education, and then the T for technology with the X sort of being that intersection, the cross between those two in the vehicle sense that Eileen was talking about, you know, making sure that technology helps to get us there. And so we had a really fun and informative uh, live show that was uh, in September and gave us uh, the backstory of this work in our state. And we have another episode coming up, episode two on Tuesday, October 25th at 9.30 a.m. Central. Those will always be on the last Tuesday of the month. Uh, And so we would invite everyone to be a part of those conversations because as Alina alluded to earlier, we 
will allocate about 20 minutes uh, to a subject for that particular month, but then loved the opportunity to make 10 minutes worth of space for us to share ideas. And so folks who share live can get in the comments uh, and post about the tech tool that they're using now, the practice they've implemented that's worked, uh, tips and tricks that, that just make the uh, integration of uh, those blended learning practices just a little bit better, a little bit easier, a little more effective. I, and it was fun to have folks from across the state and elsewhere, right? Like outside of Nebraska, uh, jump in and contribute to our collaboration in that 10 minute window. Uh, Eileen, just to kind of bring us home here as, you know, again, 15 minutes goes really fast. What were your takeaways from that first live show effort after having spent January to September talking about it, building it out, getting everyone on the same page and committing to getting that conversation started in that live show space? I think my biggest takeaway is that this work has really been an effort across the state for a long time. And the educators that were working in a blended learning environment and with that mindset really were able to shift in the pandemic very easily. And the educators that had not really looked at transforming their classroom with that integration of a blended learning mindset really might've struggled during that time, which in turn their class students struggled. And so it's a time for us to reinvigorate our efforts across the state to make sure that there are equitable opportunities for all students to access education in a manner that makes sense for them. And that would be looking at the best practices of blended learning as a starting point for every educator that hadn't considered it in the past. Oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, listening in, love that Eileen was able to join us today to share out a little bit about blended learning. Love that Peg Coover was able to join us today to talk about blended learning and the Digital Citizenship Symposium. This is the type of work that our ESU network is invested in. Uh, and these are two great conversations. There are other conversations and great work going on across our state and with the amazing people that we have uh, as colleagues at our service agency level. And I'm just so grateful to you both for taking some time today to highlight that, uh, to share that out. And let us be clear, this is an invitation for every everyone to be a part of this, whether you're a student, whether you're the classroom teacher trying to access digital citizenship learning opportunities or to learn from the blended learning live show conversations that are accessible to you and ask your questions or our colleagues. I just really want to underscore that we're here to serve the education community, both in our, in our state and outside of it. Uh, and thank you both so much for the efforts that you make as leaders of groups that are out there active in those spaces. Thanks, Andrew. I, we appreciate Lisa, everybody in the digital citizenship group do that you're getting the word out for us and just a lot of the great things that we're doing at the ESU level. And Eileen, I really appreciated your comment about this blended learning has been something we really have been working very hard on for getting close to 10 years now. And so it wasn't just one more thing or it wasn't just the next new thing. I think it's here and we're just trying to reach as many students and teachers as we can. I agree. And thanks to both of you and the efforts, Andrew, of even this podcast go along with our purpose statement of getting more outreach and more people to join in on this. Yeah. And so I guess we'll bring things to a close and just say that if you're interested in accessing any of the materials, resources, the rubric that we referenced, uh, the website for digital citizenship or blended learning or the live shows, uh, we're going to have a ton of links that are going to go in the show notes for, for this episode uh, or check out our esucc.org page where you're likely to find most of those pieces uh, referenced at some place at some time. But we hope to see you on Wednesday, October 12th. 
at 1.30 p.m. Central for the Digital Citizenship Live show. Uh, and then again on Tuesday, October 25th at 9.30 a.m. Central in the morning for the What's Next with Blended Learning Live show. And just really grateful for everyone's collaboration in those spaces. 